0: Good morning. It's so good to be with you all this morning. Uh, my wife and I visited a few months ago, I think, with our children, and we just really enjoyed getting to know you all, and you all are just such a sweet group of people, and, and uh, we appreciate you and the support that you give us, and we appreciate the example that you are to this community and, and uh, your faithfulness. And so unfortunately, my wife could not be here today. My children are sick, and so we regret that they weren't able to, to be here to see you again, but perhaps someday in the future we can come back and, and uh, all be together again. If you'd like to open this morning to the book of Jude, to the book of Jude, if you were to ask most people what the book of Jude is about, most people would tell you that it's a book about false teachers. And that's accurate. It is a book about false teachers. But there's another point that Jude makes, a a kind of overarching point about who God is and about our relationship with God. And so this morning I want to look at that idea in the book of Jude, what he has to say about who God is and about our relationship with God. And that's found primarily in Jude verses 20 and 21. If you look with me in Jude verses 20 and 21, when he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And so he gives us this command there. In verse 21 he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. You know, that's that's a really great idea. We want to be in the love of God. We want to, to have his love and to be a part of that. But the question that I ask myself when I get to this verse is, how do I do that practically? What does it mean to keep yourself in the love of God? And so this morning, I want to look at that. And and the key to answering that, the key to understanding what it means to keep yourself in the love of God is actually found all the way back in verse 1. You might have to flip a long way. I know it's a long way to get back to verse 1. It's a long book. But back in verse 1, Back in verse 1, this is the key to understanding verses 20 and 21, and the key to understanding what Jude has to say about who God is and about our relationship with God. In verse 1, he says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. And so Jude says that we are three things there. He says we're the called, that we're the sanctified, and he says that we're the preserved. He says you are the called, He says, you are the sanctified, and you are the preserved. You know, those are our three wonderful concepts. And they're not just random things that he's picked out. They're they're three very related, very connected concepts. And they tie back to verses 20 and 21. And so I'd like to consider each of those things this morning to to understand what Judah's saying about who God is and about our relationship with God. And the first one we're going to talk about is this idea of being called. You know, in our world today, I'm afraid that that being called is one of the most confused religious terms that people use. You know, I've been I've been in the grocery store before, and I've had people walk up to me, and, and they might say something like, you know, I, God moved me. He called me to come and to say something to you. And normally they say something very nice, and normally I think they're very brave. I'm not really sure that I would be uh, comfortable doing that. But does God talk to us that way? Does he call us? our emotions or through our feelings. You know, likewise, sometimes you hear about people who, who say that they have dreams, that God has given them visions, that, that he speaks to them through their dreams. And so the question is, does God talk to us that way? Does he speak to us through, through our dreams or through visions of some variety today? You know, the answer is found, of course, we want to look at what Jude has to say. We want to look at what the Bible has to say about how God calls us. And he answers that question in verse 3. In verse 3, if you're looking in the book of Jude, he says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. You know, usually when we think about faith, what we think about is our, our trust, our obedience, our, our belief in God. But when the New Testament writers use phrases like the faith... Most often what they're referring to is the idea of the doctrine, the body of works, the the words that give us faith. And so when we refer to the faith, we're talking about the Bible. He doesn't say to contend for your personal faith. He says contend for the word. And so he says there, he tells us several things about the Bible when he says contend for the faith. He continues in verse 3, he says, which was once for all delivered to the saints. And so he tells us several things about the faith here. He says, first of all, that it was delivered, that God has delivered this call to you. He says that he's delivered specifically to the saints, but he says it's delivered for all. And so it's the idea that God is gives it to the saints and the saints are to take that and to give it to everybody else. But notice this, what he says, that it was delivered once. It was delivered one time. And so Jude is saying here that God is not going to give you feelings in the grocery store about what you should and shouldn't do. He's not going to call you in that way because that would be a second call. And Jude says he has delivered his call once, only once. And so Jude says that would be impossible. You know, God is not going to give us dreams. In fact, he addresses that in verse 8, when he says, likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh. It's this idea of people who claim that they have dreams from God, claim that God has spoken to them, that he's given them some message that is contrary to or adds to or takes away from the scriptures that we have. And he says, that is impossible. He says that call was delivered one time and only once. And so he's not going to deliver it to us in any other way today. Now this fits in really nicely with uh, what he has to say about false teachers, but how does this relate back to what he has to say about who God is and about our relationship with God? Well, let's look back at verse 20. In verse 20, he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. So remember, we're answering this question. How practically do you keep yourself in the love of God? And he gives us the how to. He gives us the answer to that in verse 20. In verse 20, when he says, First of all, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. He says that you are standing, you are standing on a foundation. And that foundation is your faith. And that you need to grow, you need to build that faith in some way. And we know that the method that he gives us for building faith, found in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so if you want to grow your faith, if you want to build your faith, then he says to hear the word of God. He says you were the called, that you were called by the gospel. You were called by the word of God. And so therefore, you need to build, you need to study, you need to, to grow, you need to learn that call so that you can build yourself up on your most holy faith. You know, I'm afraid sometimes we have this thought about faith. You know, it talks about how God gives us faith in the Bible, and God does. God gives us faith through His Word. But, you know, we talk about that sometimes, and we think about it like, God gave me this much faith. He gives me this, this measure of faith. And, you know, it's hard for me to be a Christian because, you know, Brother A over here, he gave him this much faith. Of, of course he does things in the kingdom. Of course he's always uh, uh, there and participating in worship. Of course, because God gave him more faith than me. Or, you know, Sister B over here, God gave her this much faith. So, but God only gave me this much faith and I just have to figure out how to make that work. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach us that God gives you a certain measure that you have to figure out. He says, if you want more faith, if you want to grow your faith, There is a formula. There is a specific way that God tells you how to do that. Found in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Faith comes by hearing. Every time that you hear the word of God preached with an open heart. Every time that you sit down by yourself to study it. Every time that you gather with with friends to to read the Bible. Every time that you gather, that you get together with those who are not yet in the church to study the word with them. If you are receiving the word of God with an open heart, then your faith is growing. And you are building yourself up on your most holy holy faith and if you are doing that then you are obeying that command to keep yourself in the love of God the second thing that Jude says back in verse one he says first of all that you're the called second of all that you are the sanctified he says that you are sanctified by the father now the idea of being sanctified is it just simply means that you're set apart for some special purpose it's like God says, here is the world over here. Here are the things that they do, the clothes they wear, the, the activities they participate in, the, the words that they use. But you, you are going to be sanctified. You are going to be to be set apart. You are going to be different from the world. And so we're going to dress differently, right? We dress modestly. We're going to use different words, talk about different things. We're going to, to spend our time in different activities. And we're even going to think differently than the way that the world thinks. And so this is what it means to be sanctified. Now, what does sanctification have to do with our overarching point about who God is and about our relationship with God? Well, to understand that, we need to follow kind of a breadcrumb trail that he leads through the book of Jude. The first breadcrumb that he drops is found in verse 1. The final and third one is found in verse 20. But the second one, the one that bridges those two together, is found in verse 11. Verse 11, when he says, Woe to them! Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit, and have perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now you might ask yourself, what on earth does this have to do with sanctification? And to understand that, we need to go back to Numbers chapter 16. If you turn with me back to Numbers chapter 16. In Numbers chapter 16, Moses is writing about the rebellion of Korah that Jude referenced. And uh, and Korah was a Levite. He wasn't one of the priests, but he worked for the priest. And his family had a very special and important job. It was their family's job whenever they would break down the camp, uh, they'd break down the Ark of the Covenant, the, the tabernacle, and, uh, and then they would take each of the holy things that the priest used to connect the people to God to make sacrifices. They'd take each of those things and wrap them up in a sheet and they would hand them individually to different members of Cora's family. Here, Cora, it is your job to carry this specific and wrapped holy item. And don't let anything happen to it. Don't drop it, don't break it, don't lose it. It is your job to take it from here to the next place that we're going to make camp. And so, this was this was Cora's job, but clearly Cora wasn't satisfied with that. He he wanted something more, and so he led a rebellion of about 250 men against Moses and against Aaron, the high priest. And I want us to notice specifically what he says in verses 8 and 9, what Moses says about Korah. When he said, then Moses said to Korah, Numbers chapter 16 and verse 8, Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it a small thing to you? Is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you? From the congregation of Israel. Moses says, Is it a small thing to you? Do you take it for granted? Do you not recognize how special it is that the God of Israel, this great and holy and awesome God, this God who created you, who freed you from slavery and bondage in Egypt and is leading you to the promised land, is it a small thing to you that that God has separated you, has made you different, has set you apart? Is it a small thing to you that that God has sanctified you from the congregation of Israel? And then with the remainder of verse 9, Moses tells us three things about sanctification. Now, I wish I wish we had time to talk about all three of them. We just don't. So we're just going to talk about the first one for this lesson. But he says in verse 9, that it, is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself? One of the things that sanctification does is that it gives you access to God. It allows you to draw closer to God. Now, I think that Korah would have been jealous of the access to God that you and I have today. I think that that even the high priest in in the Old Testament, that they would have been jealous. They would have loved to have had the access to God that you and I uh, enjoy today. You know, every time that we pray... Every time that we worship God, we have access that, that they did not have. You know, in the Old Testament, the high priest, he was the only person that could enter the Holy of Holies. He didn't enter the true one, just a copy of one on earth. He was the only man out of the millions of Israelites who could enter it, and he could only enter it one day a year. That, that was it. But you and I, every time that we worship, every time that we pray to God, we can enter that Holy of Holies, the spiritual one, time, day or night, we have access to God. Now, what does this have to do with the book of Jude? What does this have to do with this overarching point about who God is and about our relationship with God? Remember, back in the book of Jude, we're following this breadcrumb trail. In verse 1, he tells us that, uh, that we are sanctified. And then in verse 11, he tells us about Korah, and he reminds us that Korah was sanctified, but that he did not appreciate being sanctified. The third breadcrumb is dropped in verse 20. In verse 20, when he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Remember, we're answering that question. How is it? How do we keep ourselves in love of God? And he gave us that first step, build yourself up on your most holy faith. Then he gives us the second step, to pray in the Holy Spirit. He says that we have access to God. We can pray to God at any time, day or night. And when we take advantage of that... We are keeping ourselves in the love of God, and so he reminds us not to be like Korah. Don't take the access that God has given him to you, that sanctification creates for you. Don't take that access for granted, but instead, with every opportunity that you have, pray to God. Talk to God. Tell him about your frustrations. Tell them about your fears. Tell them about your worries and your concerns. Repent of your sins. Rejoice and praise and be thankful to God for what he has blessed you with. Take every opportunity to pray to God. And when you are doing that, you are obeying that command to keep yourselves in the love of God. The third thing that Jude says, he says, first, that you're the called in verse 1. Second, that you're the sanctified. But then third, that you are the preserved. And you know, the the Greek word for preserved, it means literally to guard against injury or loss. It's this idea that Jesus himself, that he is guarding us against injury. He is guarding against loss, not physical injury or loss, but a spiritual uh, guarding against injury and loss. And, you know, the reason why I mention the Greek word is it's actually found three times throughout the book of Jude. That's a lot of times for such a short book, and uh, and it's translated differently throughout. And so I kind of want to point those out. I want to go through the other three uses so we can get a fuller understanding of what it means to be preserved in Christ. The second time that he uses it is found in verse 6. In verse 6, when he's talking about angels who have fallen away, and he says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And so that word reserved, it's the same Greek word translated differently, preserved in verse 1, reserved in verse 6, but it's the same word and it carries the same idea. It says, There are these chains and they bind these angels and there is nothing There's nothing that can break those chains, nothing that will free those angels. Jesus' power is too great. His power is too immense for anything to break those chains. The third time he uses it is found in verse 13. In verse 13, when he's writing about Christians who have fallen away to become false teachers. And in verse 13, he calls them raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame and wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So again, that word reserved, it's the same Greek word found back in verse 1 and verse 6, and it carries the same idea. He says there is a place, there is a blackness of darkness forever, and it is reserved, it is kept for these Christians who have fallen away to become false teachers. Is says there's no one that can go there ahead of time and turn on a light to make it more comfortable. No one who can go there to destroy it so they don't have to end up there. No one who can alter their path in some way. Jesus' power is too great. His power is too immense for these false teachers to end up anywhere else but this place. It is kept. It is preserved by his power. Now, of course, the one exception to this rule would be if they would repent You know, if they would repent of their false teaching, return to the light, teach the truth again, then Jesus would choose to allow his mercy, his grace, to trump over his power. And so Jesus chooses that. He chooses to to not use his power to to condemn them in order to have grace on them if they would repent. But, But short of that, there is nothing that can, that can keep them from ending up there. Now, this is two negative uses of that Greek word, but it teaches us something valuable about what it means to be preserved in Christ in verse 1. Just as there is nothing that can break those angels' chains, just as there is nothing that can keep those false teachers out of the blackness of darkness forever, when we are told that we are preserved in Christ, we are told that there is nothing external that can take us out of the preservation of Christ. There's nothing spiritual. There's no angels or demons or Satan himself. You know, people say that sometimes, right? Well, the devil made me do it. All right, Jude says the devil can't make you do anything. Jesus' power is too great for that. There's nothing spiritual that can take you out of the preservation of Jesus. It says there's nothing physical. There's no kings or presidents, no uh, fathers or mothers or sisters or brothers or, or children or spouses. There's nobody that can force you to leave the preservation, that can take you out of the preservation of Jesus Christ. That's what he says in verse 24. Look with me in Jude, verse 24. He says, Now to him who is able, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He says, God is able. God has the ability. God has the power, he says, to keep you from stumbling. The idea of stumbling in the book of Jude is the idea in context of stumbling over false teachings. And you know, when we think about the world that we live in today, we think about all the false teachers who are out there. We think of all the people who we know, people that we love, people that we're close to, who have been deceived by these false teachers, all of those people. God must be an immensely powerful God. God must be an immensely great God if he can promise you That he can keep you from stumbling over those exact same false teachings. How powerful must God be? He continues and says that he can present you faultless. To present is literally the idea to cause to stand. He says he can keep you from stumbling. He can cause you to stand faultless, blameless, perfect, before God's very throne. Someone who can stand before God's throne is someone who is not afraid of God's judgment because he knows through the grace of Jesus Christ that God will judge favorably for him. God is so powerful, he can promise you that. God is so powerful, he can give you that comfort. Who is God in the book of Jude? God is an immensely powerful and compassionate God. But you know, there's one exception to God's power, one exception, and that's found in verse 21. Verse 21. Verse 21 brings us back to the fourth use of this Greek word. It was translated uh, preserved and reserved, but now keep. And verse 21 brings us back to, to that main command that we're considering this morning. How do we keep ourselves in the love of God you know, that word keep, it's it's the exact same Greek word. And and the idea is, is uh, you know, it might seem a little confusing at first. Because on the one hand, in verse 1, he says that Jesus preserves you. And so that sounds like Jesus is doing something. And then on the other hand, in verse 21, it says that you are to keep yourself. You are to preserve yourself. And so that sounds like you are doing something. And so how do these two ideas mesh together? How do they work? Well, Jude has already answered that in verse 20. Remember, he said, you are the called You are called by the gospel. And when you study that gospel, when you read and receive and obey that gospel, you are building yourself up on your most holy faith, verse 20, and you are keeping yourself in the love of God. He says you are the sanctified. You have been brought close to God. And when you take full advantage of that, praying in every opportunity, then you are accessing the power that Jesus provides. Jesus provides the preservation, the power, if you will, if you provide the faith and by studying your word and by speaking to God. That's how those two ideas work together. You know, when you think about verse 20... You know, we kind of, we say this to our children sometimes, you know, like studying God's word. That's the idea that you're listening to God, right? You're hearing his voice, what he has to say to you. And then praying in the Holy Spirit, that's the idea of talking to God. And so you're, you're listening to him and you're talking to him and you're having this conversation essentially with God. He's talking about having a conversation. The core of verse 20, the essence of verse 20 is building an intimate relationship with God. If you want to be in the love of God, if you want to keep yourself in that love, then you will know God. And you will build this close, intimate relationship with Him through Bible study and application, speaking or hearing from Him, and prayer, talking to Him. And you will draw close to God. You will know Him intimately in that way. You know, every day that we go without studying our Bibles, every day that we go without prayer, should be a day that we greatly miss. God. You know, you think about small children. I remember when I was a kid, I loved to go to my grandparents' house. I'd go for, for like a week, and it was so much fun. But every day, every day, I still wanted to call my mom on the phone. Every day, I still wanted to hear her voice and talk to her and tell her about the things that were going on in my life and just hear what she has to say. And if I went a day without that, I missed it greatly. You know, kids, they're so homesick when they, when they go visit their grandparents. They miss their parents. We are homesick. We are, we are desperate to hear from God. We are desperate to talk to God if we go even a day without that. And every day that we go without it is a day that we begin to slip. Every day that we go without it is a day that we become more and more like those false teachers that Jude writes about. More and more like those hard-hearted people who have turned away from God. We don't want to end up there. We don't want to be like those people. And so we, we never miss an opportunity. We never go a day as much as is possible without speaking to and hearing from our awesome and great and powerful and loving God. And when we do that, we are obeying that command. We are keeping ourselves in the love of God. You know, I want us to notice in verse 21, I want us to notice the attitude that he says we should have as we do this. Verse 21, he says, Keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. He says, first of all, as you do this, as you build yourself up on your most holy faith, as you pray in the Holy Spirit, as you keep yourself in the love of God, look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Recognize that you are not somehow earning your salvation. You are not somehow earning the protection and the preservation and the power that God provides. It's only possible because of the great mercy that Jesus has for us, because of what Jesus has done for us. But second, notice that he says that you look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. He says, don't forget where it is that you are going. And most importantly, don't forget who's going to be there. You now heaven is going to be amazing. We're going to be in the very presence of God. We're going to, to be there with him for an eternity. And you know, don't you think that in a way, he's saying that if you were not willing to begin building that relationship now, if you were not willing to commit to growing closer and building this intimate relationship with God now, what makes you think that you're going to have it once you get there? But on the flip side of that, you don't have to wait to get there to begin having this amazing, this wonderful, this intimate relationship with God. You can, you can have that relationship now. You can grow closer to God and have a piece of heaven today through Bible study and through prayer, through Bible application and through prayer. Now, if you're here this morning and you have not obeyed the gospel, this preservation that we're talking about, this, this safety, the this security that Jesus provides, it's not yet yours. If you were to die today, you would not be preserved in Jesus Christ. And that's not what I want for you. I know certainly it's not what this congregation wants for you. It definitely is not what God wants for you. And so we want to help you with that. And so ask yourself two questions if you're here this morning. First of all, do you know what the gospel is? Can you go to the Bible and show show me where the gospel is, what it is? And second of all, do you know for certain that you know how to obey it and that you have obeyed it? And if you can't answer for certain both of those questions, then in a moment, please forward and, and let's study that together. Let's consider what the Bible has to say because obeying the gospel is essential to accessing the power and the preservation that Jesus provides and we certainly want that for you today. Or if you're here this morning and you're just afraid that you have not been keeping yourself in the love of God, you have been not been doing what is necessary to keep yourself preserved in Jesus Christ, we want to help you with that in whatever way we can. We want to pray for you and so we ask that you come forward as we stand and as we sing.